And then for the edited version of WAP, instead of <laughs> wet ass pussy, they, oh my God. they call it wet and gushy, which is somehow Aww. like dirtier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and gushy. Wet and gushy. Really? That wet and gushy. It's like, ugh. <laughs> it paints a picture. Get a bucket and a mop for that wet ass gushy. <laughs> is that what she says? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. <laughs> That's not even that's that's tame compared to the rest of the song. Welcome to Predator Minute, the podcast where we break down the nineteen eighty seven action sci-fi classic Predator one minute at a time. I'm John Zabriskie. And I'm Jeff Glover. And today we're talking minute ninety-four. Ninety-four of Predator 94, you can call the Charles Haley, Charles Hall of Famer Haley Mm. of minutes, Uh, the Terry Crews, who uh, I guess I didn't know played professional football, but when he did, he wore the number 94. Hmm. 94. Oh, go ahead. So I I didn't realize that uh, he played in professional sports. I, I would have assumed he played sports, but I didn't realize he did it professionally. Right. Yeah, I didn't realize that either, but... There you go. There it is. Uh, and Dalen Mac. 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 Also wore or wears number 94. 94. If I remember correctly, I think Dalen Mac still plays professional hmm. football uh, for the Detroit Lions. Oh, nice. Yeah. Good job, so thanks. Dalen Mac. Mac. So Mac. Dalen Mac, Mac, tell all your friends whose names are Mac, Mac, either first name or last, or both. Maybe we'll have the rare Mac Mac. Mac Mac. <laughs> Mac 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 Mac. It is a rare. Mac 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 um, one of them was the World Cup was played in the United States in 1994. Ooh. 94. It was the strike-shortened year in 1994 in MLB, 94. where it turned a lot of fans off uh, for quite some time. I remember that. Yeah, and it's yeah. the length of an NBA court. 94. I always thought that was 100 feet. I guess it's not. I guess it's 94. 94. 94. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, let's see some other 94s of note. It's the second of three consecutive semi primes, which I advertised last week. That was, uh, the product, a number that's the product of two prime numbers. Yes. So 94, 94. one of them has to be two since it's even. Mm-hmm. So two times, uh, 47. There you go. 94. Yes. 47 and 47 we know is a prime. Wait. Okay. Stop there. Let's go. Keep going. Okay. Uh, I like this little fact about 94 that 94. each February Respiratory Health Association of Metro Chicago hosts the Hustle Up the Hancock, mm. the handy, a race up 94, flower, 94 floors 94. of the John Hancock Center in Chicago to raise more than a million dollars for lung disease research and program. So thank you to anybody who's participated or know someone who's participated in that in that uh, that race. I think I've seen people wear that shirt. Like it's it's a point of pride. I think. In- it sounds grueling. These I, I've seen. There's another run like that in Seattle where they run up all the stairs of the Columbia Tower. Yes. Ugh. And I have a friend who does it, and it just looks awful. And every time I go upstairs, 
and I'll go up like three flights of stairs and I'm like <laughs> doubled over winded. <laughs> I'm like, how does anyone do all 94 or whatever? You know, oh, man. Stories. <laughs> also, Interstate 94, 94. leaves, uh, 94. leaves uh, Chicago and travels up through Minneapolis and Fargo and across North Dakota into oh, it does, huh? into Montana. Oh. It does. I I know that personally because I have driven the entire length of I ninety four. I ninety four. Yeah. When you wrote that down, it it jumped out at me. So if you'll indulge me, I'll tell you a short story about I ninety four. Ninety four. Please. So when I was, gosh, twenty two years old, probably. Ninety four. Uh, was in college, but I had just finished spring quarter, and. Um, I had a break from school and for whatever reason, I had a break from my job for like a week and a half or two weeks or something. Maybe I was in between jobs and I had a couple roommates who were also in a similar situation and we decided that we should do a road trip. And, um, so we settled on Chicago and we, but none of us had reliable cars except our other friend who lived, uh, when it was going to central, uh, Washington university. And he had a fairly newish, like late nineties model Nissan 200 SX, mm. which if you know, cars, you know, that is a very small two door coupe. <laughs> so four of us climbed into the Nissan 200 SX and we drove to Chicago um, and it took us several days to get there. We, we drove I-90 on the way there most of the way. Right. Um, stopped at a couple different places. We saw the field of the actual field of dreams in, I think it's Iowa or whatever it is. Uh, but anyway, on the way back, we decided to, back. Back. we decided to drive I-94. 94. Um, and which takes us through Minneapolis, which I honestly have no recollection of driving through Minneapolis, but we must have. Um, I do remember coming up on Fargo and Fargo is a weird town because it's, huh. it's kind of a big city relatively in the area, but it's super flat. There's like no buildings larger than two or three stories, but it's like sprawling. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of reminds me of Spokane in that way. But uh, anyway, we drove through Fargo and while we were driving across the expanse of North Dakota, where there is absolutely fucking nothing. There's nothing there for hours. We have nothing. I mean, hours. It is long and straight. I, I had gotten the, the red-eye shift, so I was driving in the middle of the night, um, and you know you kind of zone out. And uh, as, we're, as we're driving, oh, no. massive like summer electrical storms start firing above us. And it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen were these like long, you know, long spread out clouds with like the, instead of just, the, it's like the sheet lightning, right? Oh yeah. Um, just like the spike of lightning, which we see here in the Northwest. It was like lightning that jumps from cloud to cloud and like stretches across the sky. Oh. And, uh, and then right in the middle of that electrical storm, an animal ran out in the middle of the highway or the freeway. Oh. And I had to slam on my brakes and come to a screeching halt in the middle of the night on I-94. 94. Uh, we didn't Whoa. hit anything. We didn't fly off the road. But uh, that's my that's my I-94 story, the time I saw an electrical storm and then almost shit my pants. 
<laughs> Did everybody in the car wake up when you? Yeah, everyone jolted awake. Yeah. We had a rule that whoever was driving, the person sitting shotgun wasn't allowed to sleep. They had to also stay awake with the driver. Oh. So especially for the nighttime shift. So my driving partner was awake with me. Awesome. Yeah. But that was a cool road trip. We drove to Chicago. We stayed there for three days. We saw a concert and then just drove back because we ran out of money. <laughs> we were poor. <laughs> just drive till you run out of the money. Yeah. 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 We, we made it home buying gas on, on high interest credit cards that we had. <laughs> Charge it. Charge it. Anyway, sorry for the side story there, but uh, no, go for this is, that's what we're all about, man. Um, yeah. 94, 94. I also repeat it. When I hear the number 94, I go 94 because 94. in the Star Wars universe, uh, 94 is one of the few numbers like anybody ever repeats in a movie, specifically when Han Solo is telling Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke Skywalker were to meet them. Um, he says, Docking Bay 94, and Obi-Wan famously repeats going 94. Han Solo, I'm captain of the Millennium Falcon. Chewie here tells me you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed. If it's a fast ship. Fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's a ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. I've outrun Imperial starships. Not the local bulk cruisers, mind you. I'm talking about the big Karelian ships now. She's fast enough for you, old man. What's the cargo? Only passengers, myself, the boy, two droids, and no questions asked. What is it, some kind of local trouble? Let's just say we'd like to avoid any imperial entanglements. Well, that's the real trick, isn't it? And it's going to cost you something extra. 10,000, all in advance. 10,000? We can almost buy our own ship for that. But who's going to fly it, kid? You? You bet I could. I'm not such a bad pilot myself. We don't have to sit here and listen. We can pay you 2000 now, plus 15 when we reach Alderaan. 17, huh? Okay, you guys got yourselves a ship. We'll leave as soon as you're ready. Docking Bay 94. 94. 94. Uh, and listen to Star Wars Minute for many years. Anytime the number 94 came up on the podcast or in their uh, listener society on Facebook, people would repeat 94. People would post receipts. Like it says, like, I order number 94. 94. And people would repeat 94. And so that's one of those things that just kind of caught on in my adult life to repeat back when I hear 94, 94. 94. Some Star Wars nerd inside joke humor. Exactly. Yeah. Now, now everybody knows. 94, 94 had a lot of big blockbuster movies. Yeah. You have, oh, uh, here, let, let, let me tell my story. You told your story. Let yeah, me tell yeah, my yeah. story. I have oh, a specific st- story for 94. 1994. Okay. 94. And um, 1994 kind of uh, sticks in my life as like a, 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 like a big pivotal moment. 1994 94. was the year that my dad moved us all out to Seattle from Tennessee and like right after basically I had graduated middle school, I'd graduate eighth grade in Tennessee. And then like we moved out here and instead of going to high school, I was like back in the junior high system as a ninth grader, like, Oh mm. man. And that totally like 
uh, just like kind of reset a lot of things for me. So like 1994 was like a pivotal year in maybe some good ways uh, in that, like the place I went to school had a lot of good inspirations for um, teachers for the first time for me. And I used some of those people as inspiration to become a teacher myself, Hmm. Uh, but also kind of negative in that, like I was planning out like my high school career, basically with like a buddy uh, back in Tennessee, like we're going to do this and play football and take these classes. And then just kind of like, was uprooted in the, in the middle uh, of that summer. So 1994 is definitely like a, a, like a, like I said, like a pivot point in my life. Yeah. Uh, My family never moved while I was Mm. going to school. In fact, my parents still live in the same damn house (laughs) and uh, I want them to sell it and move. But uh, yeah. So I, I remember thinking like when I was in school, how hard it would be to just like pick up and move somewhere and, be dropped into a new school it was yeah it was very hard like i said it, it was just like pushing a reset button on like you know someone like me who's yeah pretty quiet pretty introverted um having to like do a lot of like friend making and yeah um, whatever club participation over again that was it was hard it was it was a, a hard time and uh yeah i'm glad i'm acclimated now to where we are but yeah at the time it was very difficult. Yeah. Especially right. Like right as you're starting high school. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which so, is, you know, yeah. the easiest time in your life, right? <laughs> <laughs> Early high school. Yeah. No, <laughs> no problems. Very, there. <laughs> no, no problems. Very easy. Very easy. Just start over. Okay. Darn. So then you must have watched lots of movies in 1994. 94. I did watch a lot of these movies. And this is where I really, when I really started following sports. So yeah. like saying the world cup, I remember when my dad moved us out here watching the world cup on like this little tiny TV he had in the living room, uh, watching a lot of baseball, like calling up sports phone. I had that like memorized, <laughs> like, Oh, here, baseball scores hit one and you hit one and it would just read the scores off. So that you knew the scores before they came out, you know, in the newspaper the next morning. Wow. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was pretty intense. So that, yeah. that's where a, lot of, a lot of my sports, like, knowledge comes from is, is coming from, yeah, the year 94. From 94. Really focusing on, like, internal stuff like that and playing a lot of video games that I listed on here. But, yeah, what do you what stands out to you movie-wise? Well, we had the – there's a lot of big kind of blockbuster movies from this year. The ones that stand out would be like Forrest Gump, Speed, True Lies, The Lion King, Pulp Fiction, uh, Ace Ventura. Um, and then you got a pretty good list of uh, sequels here again. Yeah. Uh, 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 <laughs> uh, House Party 3, yep. <laughs> My Girl 2, Make <laughs> yep. a Gun 33 and a Third, mm-hmm. uh, D2, Mighty Ducks 2. Major League 2, Leprechaun 2, White Fang 2, Three Ninjas 2, Aladdin 2, Beverly Hills Cop 3, Endless Summer 2, City Slickers 2, The Secret of, wait, no, The Legend of Curly's Gold, mm-hmm. Wyatt Earp, oh, no, that's not a sequel, <laughs> Police Academy 7, Karate Kid 4, a.k.a. The Next Karate Kid, mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street 7, which is actually called New Nightmare, which is notable because it was a return to director Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so quite a few shitty sequels there. Wait, did you say Police Academy 7? Yeah. 
Oh, okay. So I read that yeah, from your list. Yeah, please get it. A, a, a couple of seventh installments. That is quite impressive. That's, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Uh, oh, I also see Natural Born Killers on there. That wasn't a huge hit, but it was like, you know, made a lot of waves because it was controversial. I was also kind of obsessed with that movie when I was a teenager, which yeah. I can't tell you a lot about me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm sure you're a big Pulp Fiction fan, right? You're like a Tarantino yeah. fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that movie, like, I mean, what can I say about Pulp Fiction that hasn't already been said? But that movie really did, like, change me in a way. It, it, it came out in 94, 94. So I was 14. It was right around when I was you know, starting to be allowed to kind of watch, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I saw that that was, you know, I saw that movie and it, it changed the way I thought about movies and it sent me down a path of like wanting to watch like more grown up movies and, and classic films and, and, uh, you know, to fill out, my my movie watching world you know beyond just kids movies and stuff right yeah. i would say you could lump that in with shawshank that's those are like yeah. two movies right there pulp fiction and shawshank redemption that people rank really really highly to this day as just like film masterpieces and mm-hmm. a lot of people's favorite which is which is really cool i don't i myself don't really much care for either one of those because it's just not my style of movies. I, I'm more in the uh, Time Cop camp, which came out. I was just about to say, and also Time Cop. <laughs> also Time Cop. Uh, True Lies. You had, yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that was that was a big one for me because it's Arnold again and James yeah. Cameron is directing him there. Yeah, yeah. It's a good good list. Good year for movies. Hey, Works, Stargate, The Professional. Those are all really good. Nice. Yeah. Uh, let's let's. Uh, last thing I'll say before we move on to the actual Minute of Predator here is uh, we have another movie music tie-in oh. with uh, Can You Feel the Love Tonight by Elton John from, oh, of course, yeah. Lion King. Lion yeah. King, I believe, is the number one or the number two movie. I think it's the number one movie that year. And Can You Feel the Love Tonight is up there as one of the year's big hits. So Yeah, and the 90s are full of these. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. That's cool. Nice find. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, all right. Well, I think we've exhausted that list. Should we jump into Predator? <laughs> I think so. Minute 94, 94 94 opens with some Predator blood dripping on the rocks behind Dutch, and it ends with two blades coming down on either side of Dutch's neck into a log. Hmm. It might be the coolest ending to any of our minutes that we've done, but. Uh, yeah, we'll- pretty high stakes uh, end. A little climactic. Yeah. Can't wait to see what happens next kind of ending. Love it. Cliffhanger style. Yeah, cliffhanger at the end of this minute. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're going to split this minute up into two sections, as we often do. The first section will be about 22 seconds. We carry over from last minute. Mm-hmm. We see the neon green secret of the ooze drips down on the rocks behind a muddy Dutch. We see Dutch in an extreme close-up, and he tries to look behind himself at whatever is there. We see but do not hear one of the Predator's feet stepping onto the rocks. Cut to Predator vision, we can clearly see, even though he's still black and blue, Dutch's body outline. We then cut back back, back. to the extreme close-up of muddy Dutch's face and eyes, and we see him slowly grab a pouch with some matchsticks sticking up top of it around his neck. Cut then to a view looking at Dutch from behind, 
and Dutch strides the pouch against the rocky ground, igniting the matches. Cut to a sparkly expro- uh, a sparkly explosion as Dutch lunges away from the predator. End of first minute. Or first part, excuse me. End of Very first exciting. <laughs> Yeah. So a, a lot of action now that uh, it's like the predator and Dutch are coming closer and closer as the minutes tick by. Uh, it might be just a matter of time before they're bum, 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 face to face. But uh, the first thing that stood out to me here is right at the very beginning, as the um, blood is dripping behind Dutch, you also have the drums lightly tapping as the blood as the blood drips. And for me, this has been one of those parts as a movie viewer, and I'm sure other people do it too, where in your head you're matching the sound that you hear from the soundtrack to what you're seeing on the screen. And they match up, I feel like, really well, that blood dripping almost to the beat. And I don't know if you have any other examples of that in mind, but I have one more in mind. Oh, gosh. The, off the top of my head, the movie that I think that syncs up best to its own soundtrack. Sorry for my children screaming. <laughs> uh, don't apologize for them. I'm going to let Ruby finish throwing her tantrum. There. <laughs> <laughs> Um, where was I? The movie that comes to my mind that syncs up best with its own soundtrack is Baby Driver. I don't know if you ever saw Baby Driver. Oh yeah, I totally did. Yeah, a bunch of the action sequences like perfectly sync up with the music. Even like the gunshots fire on the beat of the song. It's it's kind of mm-hmm. incredible work of sound editing and uh, you know music syncing. So that's what I thought of. It's interesting because that is definitely intentional by Edgar Wright. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if this is intentional. I, I take this to just be kind of maybe uh, accidentally matching up. I don't know what you think. I think so. I think it's probably coincidental. Um, okay. But cool nonetheless. Yeah. It, it reminds me a lot of um, at the end of the return of the Jedi. And this has like always been the case for me. Um, Luke has defeated the emperor and Vader. And he's like trying to drag Darth Vader to the shuttle. And Darth Vader says like, help me take this mask off. And Luke (laughs) takes off the mask and he's talking to Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker as he's dying. And in the background, as you hear the, and it's like this really like high pitched, sad version of that song. You also have like this light going on in the Death Star, like in the hangar behind Luke. And it always like stood out to me as matching like this little background light, like not even part of the scene. It's just kind of like background lights and sound. And it just happens to match up uh, what's on the soundtrack. And I've always wondered if that's intentional. Yeah. Or just coincidental. Or just coincidental. Mm. Hmm. Hmm. We may never know. Well, what what stood out to you here at this first part? Uh, Dutch's face. Mm. We we get several extreme close-ups of his face. The first one is just of his, like, eyes and nose, and then we slightly kind of cut back to his whole face, which is sort of occupying the right side of the screen. Um, Mm. And we get some really good Arnold eye acting here again, which we've seen previously in the film. Um, But here, it's some of the best. You know, he... He's just got good face. Yeah, he has. Yeah, good face acting. Uh, yeah. He has some good. 
don't know what you'd call them, maybe gray eyes. Yeah. Which which match really well with his muddy skin. It's like they're yeah. they're a perfect match. It's almost like they, they looked at his eyes and they're like, Well, we need to color the mud this certain color to match his eyes. And it's the contrast. The whites of his eyes are very white and they mm-hmm. just really pop out uh against the the muddy skin background. Um and then I I, I just like the tension that builds right here. You you kind of know that he's a little fucked. Um, yeah. you know, we got the, the secret to use dripping. We see that foot coming down in the background. We get the great, that I can't make that sound. The, the sound they always make as we go into predator vision. Yeah. It's like a whip. It's like, whoosh. yeah. And then we whip and like that sort of like punctuates the tension. Like, you know, we're, we're all kind of sitting on the edge of our seat wondering what's going to happen. And then that whoosh, happens. And, uh, and we realize the predator, although He's still black and blue in his vision. He he can clearly see Dutch. He knows exactly where Dutch is. Which uh, raises the question, if you can see that Dutch's outline is here, he must see a giant red heated ball <laughs> erupt from Dutch's hand when he lights that uh, little pouchy pouch, a little talisman around his neck. Yeah, I mean, that you have to kind of suspend your disbelief a little bit here. Um, right. Cause he does light that match and who, you know, who knows, maybe in the context of the story, it's supposed to all happen very quick. I mean, it does happen very quickly on screen. You know, he does the swipe lights, the little, uh, torch thing, and then, you know, runs his ass out of there. Um, right. but, uh, yeah, I mean, the, this, obviously the predator would have to see that immediately. And what we had Eric Deutsch on, uh, the last couple weeks. Thanks again, Eric, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. It's all bullshit. He set us up. You set us up. It's all bullshit. It's <laughs> getting alive. Ah, all those things. So thank you, Eric. And uh, one of the things we were discussing was uh, when like Predator shoots at the rock, I mean, is he just doing it to draw out Dutch? And maybe right. he's trying to further entice Dutch uh, out in the opening so he can have a better one-on-one with him. Hmm. The other thing we notice here is he he has to leave his weapon behind, doesn't he? Yeah, really sad. Like we've given the spear a little bit of screen time when you picked it up a, a few minutes ago. Yeah, I think at the end of ninety one, and then he's he's thrown the other spear, the explosive partner to that spear, and we're pretty sure that his life support knife is the sharp point of this spear, and he just leaves it behind. He he jumps away with it. An interesting choice. Maybe he can't really. Uh, be as agile holding that right well if he if he had eyes on that branch that we'll talk about in a minute that he attempts to swing from he knows he can't carry the spear at the same time so in a split second decision whether good or bad he had to make it and he uh, chose to leave it behind to try to make his escape now speaking of this flame uh is do you think this is I, i mean Obviously, it's it's explosive. Is this just the leftover explosive he, he had in his pocket? Leftover gunpowder, perhaps? I think he. I think it has to be. We don't see him make it, which is right. another John McTiernan trademark of this movie is mm-hmm. not showing every step of the process, which is great. Uh, mm-hmm. All we do see is like this little bag with a couple matches sticking out. And when he lights it, it explodes in a big shower of sparks uh, and I, one, I really like that John McTiernan didn't show him making everything. He didn't show him making the spears. 
Uh, and two, I like it showing the inventiveness again of Dutch. Like I've never, ever noticed until I paused it or slowed it down here that it had these matches sticking out and that's what lights it when he just strikes it against uh, the rock. These yeah. somehow still functioning strike anywhere matches. <laughs> <laughs> and he has the matches like kind of bundled together. Um, yeah. So they all kind of light up together, throw them on that explosive. It's kind of like your trick, right? Didn't you do a similar trick where you put a bunch of match heads in a tennis ball or something? It was the insides of some Piccolo Pete's. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And again, we get an awesome spark-heavy jungle explosion here, which uh, I have already professed my love for throughout this movie. So that just makes me happy. Yeah, yeah, the, he, he is trying to escape the predator here. He's thrown another little diversionary thing in the path between him and the predator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I mentioned, like it's like he and the predator just keep coming closer and closer together. When he sets that thing off, the predator has to be maybe five feet behind him at the most. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the predator is somewhat slow to react yeah. Right. We kind of talked about that, I guess, but you know, in, in a sense, he's sort of watching this happen. Right? Yeah. He's watching it happen. And then we're going to see, I believe a lot him play his own hand about yeah. how much he wants to really kill Dutch. Uh, when we talk about the next part of the minute. Mm. Well, shall we? Hey, let's talk about the next part of the minute. Oh, perfect segue. Uh, yeah. I'm excited. I like this. This section is great. Yeah. All right, action. action Jackson. Carl Weathers is Action Jackson, and action is on the way. All right, second part here, going from second 23 until the end of the minute. After Dutch's lunge away from the Predator, we cut to a wide shot of Dutch running above the ravine with the explosion growing larger in front of the Predator. Dutch leaps for a sickly-looking branch as the Predator turns to look after him. Cut to a close-up of the Predator's face as he fires the shoulder cannon after Dutch, hitting the branch and causing Dutch to fall backwards into the water below. Back! 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 Cut then to Dutch swimming under the water for a few seconds before coming up to the shallow end. He then exhaustedly crawls towards a log. We cut to a wider scene of his new surroundings where he starts to push up off the log and out of the water. Just then, the Predator stabs two blades down around his neck and onto the log, possibly pinning Dutch to the wood. Mm -hmm. End of minute. And the way listeners should know that the way you chopped up these minutes, this minute ends with those blades coming down around his head. And then the minute just cuts. (laughs) It's pretty great. It's a pretty great end. You know, you know, it's great when you instantly want to hit the next minute and see what happens. Uh, but we can't right now. We are stuck in this moment in time, minute 94, 94. So what, what stands out to you for this second part? God, this stunt. I think this is an underrated stunt in this movie, uh, the yeah. movie that's full of great stunts. But Jesus, like, I assume this is a stunt double doing this jump. But this is a real-time jump, and we basically see the whole thing happen in real time. There are a couple yeah. of cuts, but, like, this dude really did jump off this thing grab this branch which breaks and he immediately falls backwards and like this is a fall man he falls backwards and his upper back and shoulder and head that's what hits the water first um, yeah 
I assume, it is like a, a real awkward way to land in the water and they pull it off. Yeah. I mean, you feel, you feel the surprise and pain of that fall, you know, yeah. like you can, we've all probably had times that we fell down unexpectedly um, or maybe we're pushed into the, into the pool or something, you know, like right. you, we all can watch that stunt and we can feel that sensation of grabbing onto that stick, but then, having it fail horribly right as you're swinging down. So all your momentum just pulls your body, you know, kind of flips you. So you're, you go head first towards the water. Yeah. Let's, let's real quick talk about that stick because yes. <laughs> right, the, the predator gives it a good, whatever laser blast. Uh-huh. But, I mean, was that stick ever going to, <laughs> to, to stand the test of Arnold's swinging body weight? The thing is, it's not connected. It's not. It's not like branching over and connecting to something on the other side. It is not a thick tree branch. This thing is about I don't know, the width of maybe uh, the thick part of a baseball bat, but it's barely long enough for him to put both hands on it. Yeah, and I, I when I first was watching through this minute, just quickly in real time, I didn't even realize the predator had shot the branch. I, yeah. just, I just thought the predator had just shot after Dutch and it like exploded near him. I just assumed that that shitty branch just broke because it's a shitty branch. Um, but you're right. When you look at it closely, they it's very deliberate that they show the shoulder cannon firing at that branch just as Dutch is swinging on it. I think the predator actually shoots two lasers. It's hard to tell because Dutch's explosion creates identical sparks. Yeah. It's like the pyrotechnics are like, well, we'll just blow it up just like uh we blow up things hit by the laser blast yeah uh, but i think the predator is meant to be showing shooting a rock that he's jumping from and then shooting the log um that he's swinging from which mm. needed no assistance but yeah it is it is like just a yard sale of a fall like <laughs> it's not it's not pretty it's super ugly and awkward and it makes it look like yeah, he was foiled in trying to escape. It's the sign of a good stuntman, right? Like, if I was to try to jump onto that stick, that's how I would fall. You know, yes. it would it would break and I would fall and look like an idiot. You know, <laughs> like it is a, it's a real fall. It's not like a you know a very you know it's co- obviously they had to coordinate it for the movie, but man, it just it looks like a real awkward you know spur of the moment fall. Yeah, and it is it is superbly edited to keep that awkwardness yeah. full on because he is jumping, it's a cut, and then it's let me see. It's oh wait, let me go back, sorry. Because he is escaping, he jumps, cut to predator, cut back to him jumping, cut to side view, cut to front view of him falling. That's what, like four cuts and all of two or three seconds of yeah. boom, screen boom, boom. time yeah. probably takes forever to put that together. It takes forever to cut that just right. Uh, yeah. But you have the explosions going on. You have the splash happening. And keep um, the continuity of his body. So right. you know, there's no weird um, lapse in time. Like it all feels seamless. It's mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. yeah. Just, just a well done action scene right here. What, what puts the action in action sci-fi classic that we talk about every week. Right. But the water breaks his fall, and uh, <laughs> he does not get hit by the explosion. 
because in the next seconds we see him swimming underwater and uh, getting away from the predator here. Now, right as you know, you're watching this, uh, a sense of dread comes over you because you know what has just happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mud that was all over Dutch obviously is not going to be on him when he gets out of this water. Right. This is like the moment in time when you're watching a vampire movie and the sun goes down or a <laughs> werewolf movie. I think Wolf I think Wolf came out in 1994. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. That moment in the werewolf movie where you see the full moon and right. you know bad stuff is about to go down. Yeah, and he pulls himself out here and uh, our intuition was correct. He has no more mud on his body. Th- this little part where he pulls himself up out of the water it looked a lot like that first scene when he pulls himself out of the lake or the river and he, when he first discovers the mud, it's a very, it's a very similar looking little crawl out of the, out of the water. Yeah. But instead of into the mud, he's going up on a log and I had to make a note because I feel like I've written logs so many times in the notes over the minutes. I had to write down like this, this continuous appearance of logs and or branches playing <laughs> pivotal roles in this movie. Yeah, this movie stars logs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the very first thing we talked about having an important impact, like literally was the stick log that Anna Anna hits Panchito in the face with to begin her escape. And that's, we called that the slog, right? Uh, you had Panchito crushed later by a log, which was, I guess, an X branch that the predator blows off of a tree and swings and hits him. And it goes, look out! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mac is killed while hiding under some logs. No, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nice call. Billy is killed on a log and making his Mm -hmm. final stand, his last stand. The torch toss and laser show happen on the same log that Billy's, well... The same constructive log that Billy's killed on, but a different log in the movie. Uh, Dutch hides under the log for about the whole minute, a couple of minutes ago. The very same log constructed, but a different, yet another log uh, that's shown by that giant concrete log. Uh, And then here, Dutch breaks a branch, which of course becomes a log. And then he's pinned to this log at the end. Did Did I miss any logs? You remembered every single log. Uh, I mean, you could you could keep going. Probably like the uh, the skinned bodies were hanging from branches, mm. uh, including Hawkins. Including Hawkins, yeah, yeah. I guess uh, Billy's like thrown up against a tree when he's yeah. de spinalized or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, we're, maybe we'll see some logs to come. I guarantee. We might see some logs to come. Everyone loves a log. Isn't that how it goes? Yeah. Log, log, log. And here at the end of this minute, uh, we have like ninja predator pinning Dutch to a log. And and we're coming full circle on my theory of, of the predator just messing around now. He's, he shoots a laser that blows up the branch right. that Dutch is hanging from. And now sure. here he has an opportunity to just stab him in the back of the neck, but he chooses not to. He instead has these two blades that come right down either side of Dutch's head and essentially pin his head and neck to the log. Uh, yeah. That's how our it ends. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, um, pretty sweet. I like, 
at this minute ends, you kind of get this look on Dutch's face. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't see this unless you had paused the the you know the movie here, like we did for this project. But it it's funny because his face looks very indifferent to what's happening. <laughs> it does look indifferent. I wondered how to phrase that. I didn't have a good. It's kind of like <laughs> he got me. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be interesting to know how he film this John McTiernan. And I think he does talk a little bit about it in the commentary, but I'll lump that in with uh, next minute's commentary because he's like just starting to talk about the movie again after talking about a bunch of Hollywood bull crap uh, mm-hmm. for the last few minutes that just not that, not that engaging. It doesn't have anything to do with this movie we're watching. So I'll save that for next uh, minute when he starts talking more about how he filmed this scene. Nice. Uh, once again, sorry for my children screaming in the background. <laughs> oh no problem man no we have little kids you know yeah. put them on have them discuss what they think about this green dribbly blood um all right i think i feel like we walked through that section pretty well did, did you have anything else to cover there i, I kind of hit all my pieces i think i hit all my pieces uh how how do you think the predator does that the predator doesn't have the invisibility anymore we see the wide shot and then he puts the the stakes to the back of Dutch or to Dutch's neck. You mean how does he get over there so quickly? Yeah, like we don't – I mean, is he using the trees? But when in the wide shot, it doesn't look like there are any sizable trees that the Predator could be using as uh, yeah. cover. I don't think Dutch is that far away from where he fell off the branch. Right. You know, I think he fell off the branch into the water, swam a little bit, and then came over to the shore. I mean, it, it can't be that far away. And during that fall and him gathering himself in the water and then swimming like that would take some time. And we've seen how the predator moves through the jungle. You know, he could have just been a hop, skip and a jump over there. Uh, could have been. He's, he's very light on his feet, which we've seen a few times when the predator is moving and right. running. He's very light on his feet at the beginning of this minute when he floats down behind Dutch as his foot comes down, it's out of focus, which is just, an amazing choice to not show the predator in all his glory yet until Dutch is running away from him. Um, in fact, the, the beginning, I didn't even mention this in my notes, but when he floats his, when that leg floats down behind Dutch, it's, it's very reminiscent to me of big trouble in little China when the three storms float down, like they oh, float yeah. with the greatest of ease, just like the, the softest feet around, <laughs> but like the deadliest skills. So, uh, yeah, maybe the Predator's taking a, a page out of their playbook. Lohan or whatever. Lohan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. David Lohan. Nice, nice call. Yeah, uh, but I, yeah. For me, I'm done. I've, I've, I've finished. <laughs> uh, go, go find yourself a cigarette and. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, yeah, that was good. Good minute. I'm excited for the next one. Um, so are we jumping into weekly recommends? We're talking recommends. Okay. Uh, what am I going to recommend? I will recommend, uh, I will recommend, uh, another horror movie because that's what I do lately. Uh, Okay. This is an older one. Uh, came out several years ago, but, um, Joe Bob, uh, on the shutter, his latest season uh, ended, but everyone, you know, every couple months when his season is not going, he'll come back on and just do like a, a little one-off kind of weekend special. 
And、uh, recently, he did、uh, a kind of a double feature movie night, and one of the movies was Hatchet Four,、uh, which is actually called Victor Crowley, which is the name of the of the bad guy, the the killer in the Hatchet movies.、Um, yeah. Now, if you don't know the Hatchet series. Uh, Hatchet was the first Hatchet movie came out in the early, I think it was the mid 2000s.、Um, it's a very low budget horror movie, but with fantastic gore special effects, and it's kind of a throwback to the 80s、um, slasher film. The director Adam Green、uh, talked about how. In the early two thousand, the mid two thousands, like all the horror movies out there were all, were either very serious、um, or they were kind of torture pornish, and、uh, he really just wanted to make a movie that was kind of like an eighties slasher killer movie that's funny and gory,、uh, where you can drink beer and eat popcorn and just have a good time. So he made this movie called Hatchet. It caught on, became kind of a cult hit. Um, enough to where he was able to make Hatchet Two and then Hatchet Three,、um, all of which I have seen, and then I had never seen the fourth one, which he just called Victor Crowley.、Um, and so anyway, Joe Bob uh, showed uh, screened that movie with his signature Joe Bob commentary throughout the film, and I had a really good time. It was super fun and silly.、Um, Lots of really great gore effects. If if you're into that, very violent.、Um, lots of crude humor,、um, but、uh, you know sometimes I'm in the mood for that, and so it scratched that itch. So、um, yeah, if you、uh, like that sort of thing, check out Victor Crowley, aka Hatchet Four. Oh, and who plays Victor Crowley? But Kane Hodder. Kane Hodder does. Yep, in all、oh、the、God. Hatchet movies. Yeah, he's Jason. And a lot of the Friday the Thirteenth, right? Yes, he, he started playing Jason in Part Seven, and I believe he played Jason in Part Seven, Part Eight, and Part Ten, and then maybe again in Freddy vs. Jason. He's played Jason more than anybody else has. Yeah, looks yeah. like he's still playing him. It says he did the motion capture choreography and stunts for the. Game Friday the Thirteenth in 2017. Oh yeah, yeah, the video game. Nice, love it. Yeah. So I don't think this would be your type of bag, John, but、um, there、oh. may be people out there who like that sort of thing. So if you、uh, skipped over Hatchet Four because it was a part four,、uh, know that it's actually quite good. So have fun with it. Check it out. Awesome. Yeah, yeah he was in. Man, he was in a ton of stuff. He was in Under Siege. Look at that. Hmm. Uh, a couple of the house movies, best of the best two, Pumpkinhead <laughs> two, Scanner Cop two, best of the best three.、Uh, man, a ton of stuff. I, I don't know if there's been anything I've actually seen. Kane Hodder, hardest working man in showbiz, huh? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Daredevil. I saw Daredevil. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What you got for recommends this week,、uh, Mr. Zabriskie? Uh, I watched Project Power on Netflix, and that was、oh, a、yeah. a fun little movie, especially for someone like that. Especially for someone like me who enjoys the、uh, comic book movies,、uh, because even though it's not based on a comic book, when you watch it, like you're going to be thinking comic book movies. The whole premise is that.、Um, 
people take these illegal drugs that give them these superpowers, uh, like superheroes, basically. Mm. But the drugs wear off after like five minutes, so there's a little bit of a, a, a time game angle to it. Not much. I mean, it doesn't focus a ton on that or... Um, yeah, I'm kind of losing my train of thought. Sorry, it's the vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I knew tips. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this always works better when I can like read off the tagline anyway. But uh, anyway, it stars Jamie Foxx, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, ah. uh, and as Robin, Dominique Fishback. I don't know her from anything, uh, but she's like one of these up-and-coming actresses actors um and she doesn't necessarily partake in the whole superhero pill popping thing uh, but she does do some uh good bars she uh oh. some lines which is uh, a lot of fun to hear and then she hops on one of the end uh the end credit songs which i thought was really cool uh, she plays a really fun character where she's caught up in all this drug trade and trying to um yeah help jamie fox anyway i'm already saying too much about it i recommend, <laughs> I, I recommend it because jamie fox and joseph gordon levitt do really well and they both work really well with uh dominique fishback it's uh they, they have a, a good old time doing it even though the movie can sometimes take itself really seriously like, where you're going like, mm. well, like but this is more like a superhero kind of deal but uh, fun setting in New Orleans. I, I imagine New Orleans residents uh, like the depiction of their city and like the little drops here and there. Uh, nice. New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've watched that. Usually you hop on those kind of actioners on Netflix. I have not. I saw the ads for it. It popped up right when I logged in, of course. But uh, nope, haven't watched it yet. I'll have to check it out. Okay. Well, uh, speaking of checking things out, have I used that one? Probably. Where can people find you, Jeff? <laughs> you can find me on the Twitter. I am Carl underscore Hungus314. Jeff Glover, follow me there. My name is Carl been expert. Will do, Carl. Uh, you can find Predator Minute on Twitter, at Predator Minute. You can email the show, PredatorMinute at gmail.com, and we might just no. And we just might read your special letter to the show. Hmm. <laughs> but uh, you can also join the Listeners Society on Facebook. We are the Predator Minute Listeners Society. Sorry, we're not that. <laughs> God, I'm <laughs> off of it right now. I, like, I think it's because I never drink anymore. And it's just like, whoop. He's doing it. He's doing the drinking thing. You got to start drinking every day like me, John, and then you'll be fine. Ah, yeah. Build a good tolerance to uh, the booze. But you can join the the, uh, the listeners group on Facebook. Predator Minute listeners, Palapa. Target's the center of the Palapa. Target's the center of the Palapa. Target's the center of the Palapa. And uh, recently, Joseph Parker had a recommend. He says, new recommend, Veterans Rant, Rattle, and Roll podcast. I'm a little biased because it's hosted by my brother, David L. Parker, but it is a great listen, especially if you're a veteran or have veteran relatives. Nice. Yeah, so there's a little recommend coming from the Palapa. The Palapa. Uh, before it's exploded, the Veterans Rant, Rattle, and Roll <laughs> podcast. Thank you, Joseph. Yeah, thanks, Joseph. Yeah. So for all things Predator Minute 94, 94, I've been John Sprisky. I am Jeff Glover. 
Hey, thanks, Jeff. And until next time, stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. no.